between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. We welcome you today. Thank you so very much. Uh, we have people from all across the world, actually, and uh, we're grateful to God for that. And uh, I want to talk to you about some very serious things. And we're going to pray here in just a moment. And may God guide us and help us in every way. We're trying to be, um, to be as helpful as possible. And I want to thank you for praying for me. I have some very serious things to say. And so I hope that uh, all of us are helped. I want you to have your Bible and have something with which to write, something to write on, notes to make. And we'll talk a little bit more about how, how we think about God's work and how we can accomplish the Lord's work in this day and time. Let's pray together, may we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this opportunity to have this Shepherd Summit and to share our ideas, our our faith, our confidence in Thee. Guide us by Your Spirit. May we be true to Thee in all things. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to open your Bible to begin with to the book of Ephesians, would you please? In Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And uh, we're dealing with some things that are, um, I think, alarming that should awaken us. We're in a spiritual warfare. I've always worked from this premise, and that is having our churches organized to function. You would not raise an army without training them. We do certain things. I want you to write these things down. We enlist people to God's work. It's not our work. If we're shepherds and pastors, we're training people, and we ought to be able to teach others also. If we're not able to teach others also, then we're not going to be able to pastor the church like we ought to pastor the church. So, we must enlist people to God's work. Then we train people to do God's work. And training is a difficult thing. It's not just teaching. It's not just throwing information out to people. It's bringing a person to the point where they can teach what they've been taught. Uh, I said often about preaching, and so many times, uh, maybe it sounds redundant, sounds redundant to you now, and that is that I don't preach to be heard, I preach to be repeated. I want the people to be able to repeat what they've heard me say. And so uh, training is bringing the person to where they can actually get, get it out and speak in a, in a way that other people can understand and we can train others, able to teach others also. And, uh, you know, in military training, um, there is so much repetition, so much redundancy, uh, so, so much routine, and, and that's for a purpose because I'm sure people get tired of it and say sometimes, this is, this is just over the top. Why do we have to do this over and over and over and over? And this repetitious stuff. Because when they get in combat... Uh, those instant, instantaneous reactions that they've been taught and trained in can save their life. 
and save the lives of other people. And I think what we're dealing with in this time has placed a greater emphasis on clarifying this, that we are enlisting people in the Lord's work and then we're training them to do God's work. Then the third thing, we're equipping people. People must be equipped. They must have the tools. Uh, everything from how to speak, what to give to people, how to message the gospel. I was thinking early this morning as I was pulling out of my driveway about my own neighbors. And they've all heard the Christian witness. They've all heard me talk with them about Christ. But we mustn't stop there. We must go in the power of God's Holy Spirit, give a clear presentation of the gospel, and bring people to the place of receiving and rejecting Jesus Christ. And the fact of the matter is, we have to be trained and equipped to do that. Sometimes it's leaving gospel literature or whatever. And so we're organizing our churches to function. And then we must advance. We must advance. Uh, that's, the, that's the issue, honestly. Everybody likes to hear about other people advancing, but the truth of the matter is we all must advance. There's, there's space and distance in front of us. We must engage other people. We must confront unbelief. Now, how do we confront unbelief? Don't mark, don't, don't, don't mark me off now. Don't, don't erase what I'm about to say. Sometimes it's winning people to ourselves. In other words, uh, we begin by being, being approachable. We, we, we begin by being people who can be approached. Um, and and, and that's, that's very important because our goal is to win them to Christ. And there's so much that's unattractive in our lives and our ministries. And I think that's one of the things God's doing. He's purging what we're doing now. It's going to be hard to admit this, but this COVID-19 virus, which is now worldwide and in America, closing up again. I'm not sure about the, the, the data that I have, but the last thing I heard that 17 states are having to take a step backward. 17 states. States like New York, California, Arizona um, are closing up again. And so... What is this that we're dealing with? Could it be that it is something God gave us? If the Bible says that all things are for your sakes, could it be something God has given us that we're having to examine and God is using it to speak to us? We have camp. We have a camp in England, Camp Victory. We work with young people. Uh, we, have, um, we have a camp in Texas, Lake Texoma, a beautiful property there on the lake. We have a, a camp here in, in uh, Knoxville, the greater Knoxville area. We have a camp, we're calling it the Passage, in Montana. It's a marvelous, marvelous piece of property. And we had things scheduled, and this was the launch summer. So we're dealing with things that... Don't, don't put all that to an end, but they change our plans. I've said times and time again, uh, sometimes we're ruling, but God's overruling. And uh, 
but can it be for our sakes? Well, in our church, I just asked our, our lady who works with us, Lisa Snow, on uh, pastoral ministries and uh, all, all the pastoral things. She keeps the records and contacts the people and we line it all up. I asked her, how far do you think uh, we have recovered from this? How much of our church is now engaged? I know what I think. I wanted to hear what she thought. And we're a long way from 100%. But we're doing the right things. We're doing the right things. And so I want to deal with you about something, and I want to to share some things with you. And these may be shocking things, but I, I want you to hear them. The news is filled with things about Black Lives Matter. Well, we all know that all people matter. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we want to get the gospel to all people. And if you're a white person, you have a responsibility to get the gospel to all people. If you're a black person, an Hispanic person, whatever the case may be, if you're a Christian, you have the responsibility to get the gospel to all people. Our, our mission is world evangelism. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. And we never ask who fits. That's not a question we ask. The question is always, who are we responsible for? For whom are we responsible? But I want to give you something. This is on the website of Black Lives Matter. Now remember that this is a Marxist organization. They make no pretense about their goals and what they're trying to do. It's not just a group of people who are blacks. As a matter of fact, I see uh, more white people as far as race concerned engaged in some of these protests than I do see black people. But these are their goals. This is on their website. These are the core principles. Number one, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Think about that. You and I are preaching all our lives and proclaiming the Bible teaches in the function and foundation of the family that there's a man married to a woman and they have children and that one generation teaches the next generation that generation teaches the next, spanning three generations. And uh, so the goal in all of, this, all of this anarchy we have, it is really anarchy, is to reconstruct, to reconstruct the family structure. So first we must dis- disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. So if you say in, in America or in the Western culture we believe in father and mother, you won't find father mentioned much, if at all, on their websites. Number two, we foster a queer affirming network. These are their words. We foster a queer affirming network. When we gather We do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking. Think about that. Or rather, the belief that all the world are heterosexual. Then number three, our goals and objectives in Black Lives Matter, we are self-reflective and do the work required to dismantle Now this is disrupt, dismantle, dismantle cisgender privilege. Cisgender is a word that means that you align with your biological uh, self. In other words, 
you can see the, the parts of a woman, and this, this, she's a woman, she's a, she's a female. The parts of a man, he's, he's a male. And so to dismantle that feeling that you identify just because you're biologically a, a female doesn't mean you're a female. That's cisgender. We want to dismantle all of that. And it's a privilege, they say, and we're trying to tear down that privilege and uplift black trans folk. Those are their words, black trans folk. So any person who's black who's transing, and you can go to any, anybody and ask who's, who's transgendering. And you and I thought this was a joke to begin with, this transgender movement, but it's not. It's been woven fully into the, the fabric of our nation and our world. And then they say, especially, they use the word especially, black trans women. In other words, if there's a black woman, they want to disrupt, I'm using their words, to disrupt uh, and dismantle their cisgender, and they want to provide all the help they can for any black trans woman who is transitioning or transing from being a biological woman, and she is what she says she is, who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. In other words, uh, they're stopping any violence. And there's some states, like the state of Virginia, and some of you pastors in Virginia, the state of Virginia now has made it unlawful. Think of this, unlawful and a hate crime to try to counsel a transgendered person and talk to them about becoming what they are in the cisgender world. Now these are things that have been legislated by legislatures and states and have been voted on and have become laws. So this thing is bigger than you might think it is. Uh, there are co-founders, co-founders of the Black Lives Matter. The co-founders are Patrice Cullors, and her statement is, well, I'm hands down. Trump not only needs to not be in office in November, but he should resign now. Trump needs to be out of office. He is not fit for office. So what we're going to push for is a move to get Trump out. It is our goal to remove Donald Trump from the presidency of the United States. The other co-founder says, I said, so Hawk Newsom is his name. He's the greater New York Black Lives Matter president. And he says, if this country doesn't give us what we want, we will burn down this system and replace it. Now, this is not a joke. It's not a joke at all. And these are businesses and 501c3 groups that partner with them. So if you can't give money directly to Black Lives Matter, you can give it to Black Alliance for Just Immigration, B-A-J-I. You can give it to the organization called Color for Change, a Color of Change. Or you can give it to the Movement for Black Lives. Or you can give it to the NAACP or you can give it for UndocuBlack, UndocuBlack Network. So 
it's well organized and its goals are defined. Over 300 American cities, no doubt one near you, over 300 American cities have seen riots or rebellion or anarchist marches. This is not just an exercise of, of the First Amendment freedom that we have protesting. There's not one of you listening today that's not outraged at any police brutality. We all would say we're outraged about that. That's not the issue. I do think that we are like George Washington said, we are a country of laws, not personalities. And because of our constitutional structure, we have the ability to write, to get back right, like a ship being righted, this country. But law has to be obeyed. And so, now it's not just affected America. In England, where we have wonderful work going on there, everywhere around the world, people are marching. And I just want you to know, these are their goals. To disrupt what exists now and replace it with a totally different structure. Now, this may help you. I'm going to give you just a brief list of people who finance this. And you won't be able to write it down, but you can go to websites and you can find this. Sources we went to was CNN.com, CNET.com, NewYorkMag.com, Ellie.com, NBCNews.com, Forbes.com, JustTheNews.com, and BlackLivesMatter.com. But here are people giving these people money. Now listen, if they're giving them money, they're giving them money to do these three things. To disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family. And as a pastor, you're trying to not just help the family. We help families. We help all kinds of families, all kinds of dysfunctional families. The family I came from would have been called a dysfunctional family. But I had a father and a mother. I had a brother and two sisters. But that structure they want to dismantle and disrupt. They want to foster what they're calling a queer-affirming network. In other words, everything that is against what God stated in the book of Genesis, that God creating man and woman and creating the family, the foundation of the family and the function of the family, they want to create a network, a network that destroys that and replaces it. The third objective, they said, as I read you a moment ago, is to dismantle cisgender. In other words, just because someone said you're biologically a man or biologically a woman, that doesn't have any hold on you or on the society in which you live. Those are the three objectives. And their founders say, we're going to do everything to create such a disturbance that President Trump will have to resign or will not be elected. Why is it they hate him so? Why is it they hate him so? Then their other goal is, give us what we want or we will burn down this system. I don't know if any of you or all of you have read Urban Lutcher's book, been around forever, many, many years, on Hitler's cross, but it's a detail of how the swastika replaced the cross. If you don't have that book, you need to get it and read it. 
and read the last chapter and what happened in Germany, what Hitler was able to do. Hitler finally said, if I say a, a lie is the truth, it's the truth. And, and so whatever I say is the truth. And uh, his brown shirts and as his control of society, it's going to be frightening to you to read it, but you need to read it. Now, here's a list of people who are paying them to do this. Amazon has given $10 million. Verizon, $10 million to Black Lives Matter partners. Cisco, $5 million. Google, $3 million to Black Lives Matter's partners for Black Lives Matter. Disney, $2 million. Microsoft, $1.5 million. Sephora, a makeup company, $1 million. Fashion Nova, a clothing, $1 million. Intel, $1 million. DoorDash, delivering meals, $1 million to Black Lives Matter. Harry's Razors, $500,000. Peloton Workout Equipment, we're hearing all these ads about Peloton, Uh, $500,000 to Black Lives Matter's partners. Gap, the clothing industry, $250,000 to Black Lives Matter. Pokemon, $100,000. Stitch Fix, fix, $100,000. Ubisoft, $100,000. Ghani Clothing, $100,000. Billy, $100,000. Spanx, women's underwear, $100,000. Fila, $100,000. Patagonia, $100,000. Tom's, $100,000. Airbnb, $50,000. 23 and me, an unspecified amount. And then uh, Walmart has committed to give 100 million. 100 million. Walmart, Apple, Nike, and others, they have yet to disclose where their millions of dollars are going, but they have pledged to fund the very things I read to you. Now, somebody said, it's none of your business. Well, they want your church closed. They want what you're preaching stopped. They want your proclamation, your proclamation of the biblical family to be considered ridiculous. They want to overthrow what they're calling the Western family structure. But we know it's a biblical family structure. Now, I'm telling you, We are in a war. We're in a war. But God has given us weapons for this war. The Lord said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty. And um, I want Mr. Zinker to come around in just a moment and talk to us about what's going on in England right now. But I want to read something to you from Ephesians uh, chapter 6. The Bible says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So this is a spiritual warfare. We're engaged in a spiritual warfare. And we're not using carnal weapons to win this warfare. 
He goes on to say, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. While you and I are here talking today and having this, having this session, there is a spiritual warfare going on all around us. And we're in the heart of it. You have a target on your back if you preach the Bible and pastor a church or help someone pastor the church. You have a target on your back. And the devil's aiming at you. And we need to pray for one another and understand some things. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith where we, we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, I want you to take your pen and make a list. I have some people in this room right now and I want them to do the same thing. I want them to make the list. He said after that, And as for me, that utterance may given unto, be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And I said a moment ago, we enlist people for God's work, we train people, we equip people, and then we advance. So, when, when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, what are they? How are you, how are you doing your fighting? Well, let's look at the Word of God. We recognize the enemy is a spiritual enemy. Oh, he may use other people. You know, Marxism, Karl Marx, Marx and Engel, Engels uh, wrote, wrote the Communist Manifesto. Uh, Marx was an atheistic Jew, and Marxism we thought was dead, but it's not dead. It lives and propagates in this movement. They, they're unashamed to tell you that they're Marxist. And many of our elected representatives in the United States Congress are Marxist. And they hate America. And they hate capitalism. And they hate Christianity. Now, you say, well, I'm just a church out here in the middle of nowhere. No, 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 no. You have... You have God's work. You're the Lord's body on this earth. We're engaged in a mighty warfare that's spiritual. So, what are our weapons? Write it down, would you please? He mentions our weapons. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. The truth. Do you have the truth? Do you know what's the truth? Look here, please. We're no longer searching for the truth. We're searching in the truth. God's Word is truth. If you don't have my book, Speaking the Truth in Love, would you give me a copy of that? Speaking the Truth in Love, then I, I want you to, to ask me for it, and I'll send it to you uh, absolutely free. Speaking the Truth in Love. It's a little hardback book, 
speaking the truth in love. And it's filled with quotes and it's filled with truth and uh, you need it. You need to read it and you need to pass it along to your people. It's entitled, So Help Me God. And it's about the true God. God's Word is true. The Spirit of Truth and speaking the truth in love. And it's our turn to tell the truth. If you don't have this little book, I'll send it to you if you email me and ask me for it. But weapon, weapon number one, truth. The greatest thing we're doing, we're the pillar and ground of the truth, is passing the truth from one generation to the next. We're wielding the truth. We're using the truth in battle. And uh, thus saith the Lord, it is the truth. You have the truth. Now get armed with it, understand what it is, and then you're going to have to advance with it. Let's read on. In this parallel passage with the warfare that we're in, he says not only do we have the truth, he says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We have the gospel. The gospel is an offensive weapon. The gospel is not tentative. We don't sit back and say, all right, all you lucky sinners out there, all you lucky sinners, you know where our buildings are. You know where our auditorium is. You know how you can come in, and you're welcome. Find us. No. The gospel was meant for the great go. That's a weapon that we're to use. And we have to get preachers back to being aggressive soul winners, pastors back to being aggressive soul winners and leading their people in the gospel. That's a weapon. Let's write down weapon number three. And he said, above all, taking the shield of faith. Faith. Faith is looking unto Jesus. That's a a weapon God's given us, faith. We have something no one else has. We have God with us and we're trusting the Lord. And it is a shield of faith. And what does it do? It shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of of the wicked. So as we're being attacked, we have the shield of faith. And then the Word of God says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you know all of us who are shepherds, need to have a new dedication and a new charge to get into God's Word and get God's Word into us, to make our sermons and our preaching filled with God's Word, to speak God's Word, to give people the Word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. I'm going to tell you something. I hope wherever country you're working and serving the Lord, you love your country. But we're in a pivotal point in history. And we're losing our country. Now, I admit to you, and I've tried to teach you, there's a difference between patriotism and Christianity. There's a difference between God and country. Our country could become a socialist stronghold, and we would be against that in our country. There's a difference between God and country. And there's a difference between country and government. We're now in the midst of a revolution where they're trying to have a governmental takeover, a great change. 
And if we're not careful, we're going to engage so much in fighting Joe Biden and promoting Donald Trump that we forget what our work is. Our work is the gospel and our weapons are given us here. Our weapons meaning the truth. Our weapons, the gospel. Our weapons, faith. Our weapons, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And then look at the 18th verse. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. Prayer in this context is a weapon. Write it down, please. It's a weapon. Prayer. We're bombarding heaven. We have access to the throne of God. Access through our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever lived to make intercession for us, is one of the things that we receive when we receive salvation. The New Testament teaches us there are over 30 things God gives us in addition to salvation. These are things that accompany salvation. You say, oh, I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. The imputed righteousness of Christ is on my account. I know I've been born again. That's wonderful. Nothing like it. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We're rejoicing with you. But what about all the other things God gave you when He gave you salvation? And He gave you access to the throne. You're not an orphan. You can talk to God. You can see things and immediately go into God's presence before a throne of grace and ask God for grace to help in time of need. You can be in need of wisdom and don't know what to do. And you can go immediately to God who giveth that wisdom. James begins with that thought, that he gives wisdom, and we praise him for it. But I want you to know, I'm I'm pressing the matter here just a bit. I, I want you to help me, and I want to help you form a prayer team, a prayer team in your ministry. You say, I'm no longer pastoring. You still need, a, you still need people praying for you. And we need to define how, how they're praying, what we want to pray for. If I said to you, let's pray for the president, let's, let's, uh, let's engage in prayer for the president, most people say, God help the president. God help. How should we pray for the president? Well, should we pray for his safety? Should we pray that he'll humble himself and trust God for what he needs? Should we pray that God puts counselors near him? Should we pray that God brings people alongside the president that he will place confidence in who can share the truth with him and direction? Should we pray for his family, his wife and son and children? Should we pray that way? Should we pray uh, particularly for decisions that he's making when we know that he's making them? And should we pray for other leaders? Should we pray for our governors? Should we let our governors know we're praying for them? Yes, our mayors know we're praying for them. We're here. Um, I just got an email from the man who's apt to be the next governor of Montana. And with our passage there and in Heron, Montana, I want him to know 
we're trying to help people. We're trying to help young people, trying to help children, trying to help pastors. A pastor, get this, a pastor can help everybody. Everybody. If you're a pastor, say amen in your heart. You can make a housewife a better housewife, a husband a better husband. You can make a family a stronger family. You can help children be more what God wants them to be. You can help an attorney be a better attorney. You can help a doctor be a better doctor. You can help a city official be a better city official. In other words, there's no one out there you can't help if you're God's man and you're the shepherd and you're the pastor. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. And I have to see this. Our work is not done. Our work has just begun. And this is the greatest time of need that you and I have faced. I've been in the ministry now 53 years. Think about that. 53 years. And some of you listening and engaged with us today have been in it longer than that. But I believe this is the most important time I have ever lived as a preacher, as a pastor, as a minister. I have a great heart for the work that is going on worldwide. Our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, our uttermost parts of the earth. I'm praying earnestly for our work in England. And, but we must get specific in this and have a prayer team and a prayer time. I'll share some of these things with you in just a moment, but I want Brother James here to share with you some of the special prayer needs we have in England because we're trying to get the gospel to as many people as possible. We're not trying to make a name for ourselves. We're trying to get the name of Jesus out. And uh, we have a special prayer need too, James, for one of our folks who've just gone through the loss of a baby. Privilege to be able to speak to everyone this morning, and it's very, very grateful to have the opportunity to speak to everyone this morning. And we're praying for each of you as pastors and Christian workers, and we're so blessed to, to see you here with us. And it's a great encouragement to see pastors and Christian workers from the United Kingdom and around the world on the call this morning as well. And we're very grateful for what God is doing there in the United Kingdom, and God is blessing in a mighty way. It's an interesting thing. If you were to ask a, a Christian who perhaps is in their 70s what life was like as a Christian in their teens or 20s, they would tell you that Christianity was thriving, that many people, if not the majority of children, went to Sunday school. Uh, churches were filled to capacity every service. And yet now Christianity is in, in very many ways on a very steep decline. And we're thankful that God has a remnant there in the United Kingdom and around the world. But the fact is this, things changed very rapidly. And no one would have believed back in 2019 that things would change here in the United States if you would have said churches will be closed for months on end. No one would have believed that. But things have changed here in the United States very rapidly. And we need God's help and we need God's strength and God's uh, strength to do what we need to do. And so we're praying much for the works there and the faithful believers and faithful pastors that have joined us on this call today. I'd ask you especially to pray for Jonathan and Lindsay McClure. Uh, they're church planting workers there, and he is pastoring a church in Brighton, Brighton's West Hill Baptist Chapel. And he and his wife, we're praying for them today. Lindsay just had another miscarriage. This is her third miscarriage. And so she's going into the hospital today and to deliver the baby. And so if you'd please pray for the McClure family, especially for Lindsay McClure, we'd be very grateful for that. God is at work. We're grateful for many things that are happening there and people coming to trust Christ as their Savior. Uh, there was a drive-in service at Oxford this past Sunday uh, morning and evening, 
and I believe they had uh, 180 folks come to the evening service, which is a, a great miracle out in the middle of a field in Oxfordshire. So it's a great thing to see what God is doing. We're praying much that the Lord will bless each of you, and we thank you. I want you to talk a little bit, if you would, about uh, the constraints that people are under, yet they're still having to function for the Lord. So there are a lot of constraints. Uh, the United Kingdom is, uh, as we know, on lockdown. And as here in the United States, there are different states that have different requirements. The United Kingdom is just opening for services on this coming Sunday, God willing. And so there are a lot of requirements. There, No singing is allowed. Um, I think Anglicans must have drawn up the... Uh, the details because there's no baptism by immersion, only baptism by sprinkling or pouring. So I'm pretty sure uh, the Baptists didn't have anything to do with those rules. But there are a lot of restrictions. So if you could please pray for the pastors and the churches in the United Kingdom and around Europe and around the rest of the world that the Lord would bless and use those works in a mighty way to bring glory and honor to Christ. And we'd be very, very grateful for that. Well, you know, I want you to remember that when Paul got to the end of that passage in Ephesians chapter 6, that he said that we should pray that he would open his mouth boldly. Think about that. Let me read it to you again. This is the difference. Um, I wish I had time to talk about many things, but it's just like where the Word of God tells us that the disciples so preached, they so preached, that's the, the, the difference that so makes, the power of so. I have a message I give on that. You can get it online. It's online. But I, I want to get to, again to this 19th verse of Ephesians chapter 6. As for me, it's a personal thing. As for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. With which, I'm, with which I'm an ambassador in bonds. So you think we're having a hard time. Paul said, I'm in prison. That's what I'm dealing with as far as circumstantial things is concerned. Circumstantial things are concerned. And I'm in prison, but pray for me that I'll have boldness to preach the gospel. And you know, we have an expression we use here sometimes that we need to come out of our shell need to come out of our shell. All of us, all of us would like, uh, like to join Jeremiah in the wilderness and say, Lord, this is terrible what's going on. But there's a fire in our bones. Do you still have the fire? Do you still have the fire? If you can just think about this mechanically and uh, not be almost just on fire to make a difference in your community, with your people, in your life. You see, it starts in your heart. It starts in your inner circle. It goes from your inner circle, just like the Lord Jesus trained the twelve. There was an inner circle. And then it went from them to others, 70, 120. And then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Don't ever underestimate what could be done in your church, through your church, 
It's Christ's body on earth. Let me read this to you again in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. You don't have to be the biggest loud mouth in town. He said, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. But you do have to have this firm conviction, this settled faith, this calm in your soul that God is with you. And God chose this moment. Uh, one of my dear friends, Roland Burroughs, is with us today. He's written a marvelous book on what God did in England through the Wesley Revivals. I'm telling you, if we could go back in history and interview one of those people that lived before that revival, they would tell you it's never been this dark. God's work has never waned so low. It's, it's never been this bad. But the Lord broke through at the darkest hour. And what God wants to do in the midst of this coronavirus and the weakness of our churches and the outrageousness of these anarchists and this organization of Black Lives Matter with their ungodly goals to disrupt the family and to create another society to tear down the systems of America and if not burn them down. God wants to work in a time like this. Can He work through you? Will you allow Him? Will you be the person? Will you be the man that burns for God? And uh, it's not how great we are. It's how great God is. Um, I read a little episode about William Carey's life on the ship traveling to India. And uh, he was on board with some, some very famous people, some people who were well-known, prestigious type people. And they were trying to minimize Carey and call him just a missionary. And this is the kind of man he was. And one said, I, I hear you were a, um, just a fellow who made shoes. And Kerry said, oh no, sir, to this well-known prestigious person, I, I, I was never a shoemaker. I just repaired shoes. I was a shoe cobbler. In other words, he was willing to be what he was but look at what he did. He set on fire the modern mission movement because his God was so great in his life. That's the greatest thing we have. Now take the weapons he's given us and use them. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I beseech you. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And do you know what we have in these weapons we found lying there on the surface of Scripture a moment ago are our weapons. They can be in our hands, in our ministries, our lives to be used. And may God help us. God bless you for being with me today. Thank you so very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, 
friendship, and world evangelism. 